Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic, great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wilson. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick it. check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. The premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2016 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. G'day everyone. Welcome to the Big Footy Eagles podcast for another week. And yet again, another win for the Eagles. This time, a and of course, we will preview this Sunday's game between West Coast and Hawthorne. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Mr. KK. How are you going? Yeah, good to be back as we continue our relentless charge up the ladder. It's funny that, for all the doom and gloom and our season's over, time to cough up a high pick to Geelong and all of this chat from, well, six weeks ago now, I suppose. It's funny, you come home, you win six on the bounce... We're in the top four, KK. We've got a game in hand. Happy days for the Eagles right now. Yeah, it's always going to be a weird season. There's going to be premiership favourites every week, and currently it's probably us, but that could change. As we as we know, we've been pretty crap at stage of the season, and now we're hitting a good form, and let's see if we can keep it going. That's it. We will get into the Carlton game very shortly. Off the top, though, thank you very much to everyone who's been in contact with the show this week through the various channels. Uh, we've actually had some really nice feedback this week about people who have found the show rather than, you know, they're not on Big Footy. They've just found the show through Twitter or through Facebook. Um, people who've said they're new to the show and they're really enjoying it. So that's really nice to hear. Thank you very much. If you would like to get in contact with the show, send us some questions, send us some feedback or any requests, any ideas, anything like that. Super appreciated. We really like to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear that you're enjoying the show. So Twitter, Facebook, Big Footy, iTunes, Spotify, all the usual junk. Really appreciate the feedback. We'll crack on with the show this time, but uh, yeah, once again, thank you very much. West Coast Eagles, 11-6-72, defeated Carlton, 7-8-50. KK, a very odd game this one. It was tight, it was tense. We did what we seemed to do against Carlton all the time, which was spend the first half just kicking to Cade Simpson out the back and giving our forwards no chance whatsoever. But then halftime came... And as we've seen this year, the Eagles put together a 31-1 to run in the third quarter. Another great patch of footy that was enough to get the job done. They held on in the fourth quarter as well. They sort of just rode the game out a little bit. Ultimately, the Eagles walk away. Maybe not impressive victors, but importantly, they did walk away the victors, KK. What was your take on the game? I wasn't that surprised the way the game panned out, really. It's reminiscent of our recent games against Carlton. and They're a pretty much improved team this year, and... The two things they do well is they're very well structured. Um, they've got a system that everyone's buying into and they've got a good amount of team spirit that they're, they're bringing the, the pressure every week. They maybe, with the age of their list, they're kind of struggling to sustain that for four quarters as, as they did on the weekend. So I wasn't that surprised that we struggled to break them down. Again, it was, it was frustrating at times in the first half just because we weren't doing the right things to, to beat them. But once that, that sort of third quarter rolled around and we really – started cracking in, winning the ball um, in the contest and, and getting the ball going forward that way and using link-up plays rather than those long kicks to outnumbered situations. And we looked looked a lot better and they really they couldn't go with us. I think the, the midfield strength was where it started and ended. 
Nat Nui was great. I thought Kelly had a great game. Yo's game was really good defensively. He just got got stuck in him with such a physical presence around the contest. I thought he was really important for us. And then Sheed was the icing on the cake when he went forward. He he loves a goal, Dom Sheed. He's, uh, he's, he's well, he got to be one of the best goal-kicking bids going around, even if he doesn't feel like passing the ball. But when you consult him like he can, then... Why bother? Yeah, a massive game for Dom Sheed. Nine clearances, 26 touches. He had the two goals as well, uh, both in the fourth quarter. He's got a spot, KK, on the ground. I don't know if it's Optus exclusive or if it's every ground in the league. I can't recall uh, so often on other grounds, but definitely at Optus. He's got this channel on the left side that you'd consider to be the wrong side for a left footer, and he just slots them from there consistently. It was his first goal from that sort of 45, you know, maybe even a little bit further out sort of angle. He slots it there. That was his first goal. He had an awesome one last year against Essendon, I think, from that spot. He had a set shot there against Collingwood in a uh, qualifying final last year. It's the side that you you think he'd struggle from, and he just never looks like missing. He's brilliant. I think even last week or the week before, Absolutely no right to kick it, and he's hit the post from there. So Dom Sheedy knows where he wants the footy, and he's beautiful with it when he's getting it at the moment. So that's great to see. KK, you touched on an interesting point, and I I wanted to discuss it. I'm a massive fan of Adam Simpson. I've gone into bat for Adam Simpson a lot of times, but you mentioned Carlton's structure. You said they structured up well, and they were disciplined in that regard. Very much so. And I've got to be honest, I was a bit disappointed with Simo on the weekend because we've seen Carlton drop one and, and more often two spares behind the ball against us consistently, dating back to even previous coaches. You know, they've, got, they've had Bolton, they've got Teague. They have seen that this works. It's obviously something that the Carlton list are comfortable to do. We really struggled in that first half. Is it something you think is a bit of a concern in that other sides might see that and they might emulate that? Teams have always tried to challenge the Eagles in different ways. In the past, it's been beat them at the contest, but now if our mids are up and running, do you think they're now going to try and challenge us and say, yep, have possession, have all the possession in the world, but we're sticking two behind the ball and you're not going to break us down? Yeah, they they probably will. And I think we need to counteract that the way that we did on the weekend. And a lot of that starts when we don't have the ball. Carlton got a lot of easy kicks and we were able to move the ball, albeit quite slowly, but quite effectively from um, the back half and forward half without too much risk. And then they were getting deep forward 50 entries for them, which was oftentimes resulting in goals um, because we were absolutely terrible at killing the ball when it came to ground, particularly in the first half. And and Fisher really capitalised on that. But even if they weren't kicking goals, they were then able to pin us down in our defensive 50 and and stop us moving the ball because we had so so far to go to goals. Whereas second half, we managed to win a lot more in the clearances, particularly the centre clearances. We turned the ball over in far more dangerous positions. We stopped giving them that easy kick so that every possession they had pretty much anywhere around the middle of the ground was under pressure and it didn't give them time to be able to set up and put those spares in position to hurt us. So in terms of your question about... About Simpson, yeah, it's a bit disappointing we played that way at the start, but you don't know if that's just co- the coach doing the wrong thing or players not following instructions, and that, that that sort of picked up as the game went on. So maybe it does indicate that even if it wasn't noticed before the game, it certainly was during the game, and the players heeded the message and started doing the right thing. Yeah, and yet again, we saw the Eagles just play a quarter or a burst, which is something we've seen a lot this year. It's something we saw a lot really throughout all of Adam Simpson's tenure. We played a burst of footy, the opposition couldn't go with us, and that was the difference. Obviously, it would be nice to play the full four quarters, and it would be nice to just completely blow a team off the park from start to finish. But right now, the Eagles are in a bit of a luxury spot where we can play a quarter 
two quarters, you know, even against Collingwood, we saw what three quarters can do. We just need a burst, and that may well be enough depending on the day, depending on the opponent. So at the very least, the Eagles walk away winners. You touched on the back line there and some struggles when the ball hit the floor when it came to ground and, and trying to kill that contest. I thought Josh Rotham was really good despite that. There were a few troubles in the back line for sure, but Rotham and Shepard, really good. Great to see Shep get a goal. Barras, sort of a tale of two halves. The first half, he was trying to mark everything and they weren't always sticking. Let's say that to be kindly. Second half, very old school. He just sunk the fist in every time. He was killing contests left, right and centre. Big punches out to the boundary. Big punches rebounding outside of 50. I really liked Tom Brass's game, notably in the second half, but I actually think he's copping a little bit too much stick at the moment because he's trying to do some nice things from an intercept perspective, but when he simplifies and just goes with the, the old school fist, he, I actually think he's one of the more underrated defenders going around, uh, especially given the narrative around him a little bit at the moment. Liam Duggan, a bit up and down. Some great passages of play, some great involvement. But again, like you touched on, Fisher was really nice as well. So, you know, hard to know who specifically to blame. But not a 10 out of 10 day for the back line. But once again, they got the job done. KK, we'll swing it up to the other end of the ground. The small forwards. Now, this is an issue we've seen throughout the year. If you run through the stat sheets, Liam Ryan had three touches. That was it. Jared Cameron had three touches and a goal. It was the luckiest goal you'll ever see because Oscar Allen just completely miskicked it and it landed in his lap. Uh, Archie... Seven touches for him. Uh, we had, you know, Cripps got a little bit more involved, 13 touches and a goal. But the small forwards haven't been a strength this year. We've seen a lot of personnel change in that area. There was rumours of Nick Reid debuting because of Ryan's injury. It's just not a settled position and it's just not clicking. What do we do here with the small forwards? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's kind of masked by the fact that our tall forwards are doing so well and we're getting, particularly in the second half, we had such quality ball going in and a number of tall targets with Waterman and Allen being effective when they go up there as well. That It's great when it goes to tall forwards, but we're not really making the most out of the guys on the ground. Though Ryan had a bit of an injury cloud and a, um, a disrupted week going in, so there's a chance he might not have played anywhere. I thought he sort of contributed, and Cameron was a bit the same. They, they, they worked hard without the ball, and their defensive pressure was quite good. They just didn't really seem to get involved going forward, and they also didn't need to be. So I'm not... I'm not as concerned as others. I'm happy that Cripps has found some form because he was the one that was really concerning me. With Ryan and Cameron, I don't um, expect them to get as many touches because they they can do so much damage with their defensive pressure and their little knock-ons and just one or two bits of really skillful play can get a goal or two, and that's all they really need to do. Now, KK, there is a topic that is very popular amongst almost all football fans, especially football fans who will sign up to Big Footy or make a Twitter account to discuss footy. There is a lot to be discussed out of this game, unfortunately, about the umpiring. It seems to have been one of the main takeaways from the game for the footy community that, well, for whatever reason... We've been bagging the umpires all year. Every week I have to hear about how the game's in trouble and nobody knows the rules. But it happened at Optus Stadium, KK, so now we have to talk about it. The Eagles are getting the rub of the green again and we will not stand for it. A couple of interesting umpiring calls in this one. I'm not going to sit here and go into bat for them and say it was well umpired. I'm not even going to say that, you know, Carlton didn't get the raw end of the deal a few times because they certainly did. There was some, there was an instance, for example, in the first quarter, Yo just took the ball out of the ruck. That's just a free kick. There's not even a decision. There's no interpretation. That's just a free. You know, Liam Ryan probably got caught holding the ball. The Sam Petrovsky-Seaton free kick that I think everybody would hopefully have seen by now. Jack Darling tackled him immediately. They called it holding the ball. It's a travesty of a call. It's wrong. If it happened at the other end, I would be furious. 
Awful call. One of the worst I've ever seen. There's no getting away from that. So I'm not going to go into bat for the umpires and say that, you know, the Eagles were hard done by on the weekend. But can we just have a chat about this narrative and how little it takes, I suppose, to come raging back into the forefront of the footy community's mind? The Eagles are last in the league in free kicks four. We're sixth worst in our free kick differential at time of recording. For years, I've had to sit and look at tables and graphs and, you know, Fremantle fans having a sook, Richmond fans having a sook, interstate fans coming over here and saying you don't get a fair go in Perth. For years, all I've heard about is have a look at how many free kicks the Eagles get. KK, now we get the fewest in the league. All of a sudden, it's not about the count. It's about where they're paid. It's about the ones that are missed. It's all of this. Suddenly, we're going to have a nuanced discussion, are we? What is going on with the umpiring discourse in football? I mean, we've been slamming it all year, but now apparently we need a royal commission into it. What's the go? People see what they want to see, really, don't they? I mean, we got the rub of the green on the weekend. I'm not going to shy away from that. There was there was a number that I could think of a half a dozen holding the balls that weren't paid. Like Natanui got away with some crazy runs where he just took on tacklers and dropped the ball. It, it happens. I, I watched the... If you saw the first half of the Port Richmond game, um, some of the calls in that game were absolutely atrocious. Like Richmond, half their goals in the first half were just blatant free kicks that were missed <laughs> in their favour. And Similarly, on Richmond, just while you brought it up, the week before or the, the game before, I suppose, in this strange condensed fixture, they were playing against Brisbane and the first quarter, nothing they could do was called a throw-in. They, they, every single time they kicked the ball, they were getting pinged for deliberate. So it's not even one team or another. It's not even the same team week to week. For all year, we've heard about how the umpiring's a mess. It's not favouring anyone in particular over the long term, but game to game, KK, yeah, we are seeing teams get ahead. It's always a mess because the AFL tries to change interpretations on the fly. Like the holding the ball is the prime culprit for that this season, and it's not really the umpire's fault. They're just getting served shit sandwiches from administration that is constantly reacting to any kind of criticism rather than just let it play out. And the other thing we need to think about is the umpires are in hubs as well. They're they're away from family. They're not even full time professionals, so they're they're going through a lot of the same mental challenges that all the players are having. And yeah, they're probably not performing at their best, but they're in difficult circumstances. They're not given a great um, set of guidance from from the league overall. And the other thing to think about is the. We've got multiple umpiring crews, um, some are better than others, and when it gets to the end of the season, you do generally find that the best umpires are the ones that are taking the important games and and finals and grand finals. So it does kind of even itself out. So it's bad, but move on. We got a good run this week to scorn. We'll probably get dumped on on Sunday and there'll be other things that go against us. It's just, just part of footy. Just a big thank you to all the Carlton fans who bombarded the podcast Twitter account with uh, YouTube videos of a bunch of perceived incorrect decisions, most of which were fine. Some were howlers, as we've discussed on, most of which were fine. Uh, Somebody went to the effort of making an account as though they were... Is it Nathan Williams? Is that his name? Williamson? One of the umpires just followed a bunch of Eagles accounts, so thanks for that. That's not weird at all. Uh, I've seen people say, well, the Eagles always get the rub of the green in Perth, and they'll hit you with a table to prove that. But then you point out that we're plus three in our free kicks in Perth this year, plus three total, 0.6 extra per game, you know? So can we just get over it, guys? The, the, the umpiring Eagles shit is so 2015. Can we just get over it? Because, yeah, KK, like you said, look, next week, probably going to be a very different story with all the, uh, all the hoo-ha going on. Ah! 
Moving on to the news for the week, a massive week of news for the Eagles, both men and women. We will start with the AFLW. And KK, I say massive, this has been a massive week, one of the biggest in Eagles AFLW history. So first off, we're still in the midst of the trade period at time of recording. Uh, First big news for the Eagles women's side is that they've made a trade. Taylor Bresland coming in from Fremantle, 24-year-old key defender. She's played uh, since the AFLW competition started. So that's a great deal of experience to have coming into the side. You know, four years of high-level footy is, is quite a difference maker still in this stage of the competition. So very happy to see Taylor come in. We traded away pick 46, which is our fourth selection to do so. Uh, we saw Talia Radan retire very recently as well. So probably a like-for-like there, getting Bresland in to be the number one key position defender for the coming season. Fantastic to see Taylor join the club and all the best for her. We've seen uh, awards. We've seen our first lot of AFLW awards ever in Eagles history. And the inaugural AFLW Best and Fairest for the Eagles is Dana Hooker. Not too many surprises there, KK, but a very close race. She was one he- uh, one vote ahead of Emma Swanson. Those pairs were just three votes ahead of uh, Paris Laurie. Paz Laurie having a fantastic season and Ashley Atkins as well. They tied for third. Uh, Imara Cameron, best first-year player. Again, probably no surprises. She really lit it up. She kicked a cracking goal as well. Uh, got a fair boot on her, I think, against GWS. She kicked a ripping goal. Very exciting player. Talk of the board. And Alicia Jans, KK. Tough year for her. She got the knee injury very early on. She didn't play, but she won best club person, best club woman for the inaugural season. Now, KK, with that said, you're looking at there's some key names there that have done very nicely for the Eagles in the first year. And today we saw a huge raft of re-signings, many of those names included. We saw Dana Hooker sign back up. Paz Laurie's coming back. Yamara Cameron's coming back. Plus Belinda Smith, Michaela Bowen, Hayley Bullis, Ashton Hill, Big footy favourite Kate Orm. G'day, Kate, if you're listening. Chantella Pereira, Sophie McDonald and Beatrice Devlin have all signed back up. KK, it's a group that we saw struggle in a pretty understandable, a pretty reasonable way, I think you could say, in their first year. But we're bringing back quite a core group. How important do you think that continuity is going to be heading into year two of this program? I think it's hugely important when you're going into, as you say, just the second year of a program. It's great to have the the club champion awards under their belt, sort of cements the the women's team as really a part of the Eagles footy club. I like, yeah, I think experience is key when you've got such a a new group joining a competition where you're a few years behind the the up and the clubs have been up and running. So it's it's good to have a continuity of players. Um, It's good to sign an experienced player. I think the experience is probably going to be more valuable over drafting in these sort of inaugural years of the, the women's competition until those development pathways really sort of come to fruition and you're getting like the juniors that, that started in the first year of AFLW going through that journey up, up into the league. So I think it's the right call in just trying to stick with what you know and the experienced players and, and building the team that way. A couple of delistings coming through today as well. Kate Bartlett, Cassie Davidson, Emily Maguire, uh, Tani Tester and Danica Piscineri, which actually surprised me because I was a bit of a fan of hers when we acquired her. She seemed like she was sort of on the way up in the waffle. So a little bit surprising there, but we've seen a few players finish up their time at the club, certainly for the time being. 
Talia Radan retiring, as I mentioned up top. And also today, Emily Bonza has announced uh, her retirement from AFLW. So a bit of a list turnover. We're getting into that sort of time of the, the season, that time of the calendar. And we will see the draft coming up very shortly. Once they get into November, we'll start to see a proper preseason come out. A little bit more news from the club in an on-field capacity. But uh, for now, KK, we'll leave the AFLW updates there. We'll move back across to the men's. Taking a look at the Eagles injury list, the biggest story of the week, Jermaine Jones. We touched on earlier the small forwards being a bit up and down this year. We saw Jones come across from Geelong. He impressed. Unfortunately, he's done the hamstring. It was a couple of week injury, but they've decided KK will shut him down. Hamstring surgery. Jermaine Jones is done for the season, which is really disappointing, I think, for a guy that showed a lot of promise. Yeah, it is unfortunate. He he was probably a fair way from getting a shot when we signed him and then rapidly showed his wares in the, in the intra-club games and found himself with an opportunity and, and thought he did really well for a, a new guys coming into a new club and disappointing when he went out with the injury in the first place and doubly disappointing that he's he's done for the season. As we spoke, it's in a position where it's, it's probably the least performing part of our team so far and it's also the, the position where we've had the most injuries. So, yeah, for, for frustrating for the club as much as it is for the player. But he, he's certainly shown enough and, and look forward to having him back and going through a full preseason and back up and running in 2021. Just finishing off the Eagles uh, injury list, we've got Harry Edwards is coming back from a concussion. He's listed as a test, but I'm not too sure, uh, you know, with McGovern on the mend and with Rotham playing quite a nice game on the weekend, how quickly he'd be due back in. But for a guy who impressed in a quarter of a debut, unfortunately, it's nice to see that he's at least back in full training, all the usual stuff. Mark Hutchings has had a bit of a setback. Stitches in the toe. It's one you don't hear about too often, KK, but he can't catch a break. Another one to two weeks on the sideline for him. Uh, McGovern, as I said, a test with the thumb. Coming up on the third, well, now fourth week away with that thumb injury, so keep an eye on that one. A few other tests throughout the team. We've got Nathan Vardy as a test with the ankle. Given that there's no waffle, you know, test, we're sort of doing it for the purposes of injury reporting, but I don't think Vardy's figuring in the selection just at the moment, but as many healthy bodies as we can have, that's obviously ideal. And Jack Petricelli, still about a month away with the hamstring. So as we talk about the small forwards, the ones we've got, they're pretty much the ones we've got right now. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens on the injury front in that area over the next few weeks. Now, if we move along, KK, it's been a big week of news for finals, for the remaining fixture, and just for the concept of the Eagles hubbing, traveling, the whole league upping and moving to Queensland. That is very much back on the agenda. We have nothing set in stone yet for all of the teams. We know Sydney and Fremantle are going to Cairns. Beyond that, we don't have confirmation of which teams are going where, but pretty much it looks very, very likely the Eagles will spend some, if not all, of the remaining fixture from round 14 onwards in Queensland. What do you make of that? Not too surprising. I think it was sort of on the cards for a while, and I can't really even be that upset about it when you think we've, we've had a good bank of home games. We've still got two more to come, and I've been saying for weeks we've just got to make hay while the sun shines and win these games. We're going into a, a hub situation with other teams that are in the same boat, so they are true neutral site games, even if the conditions might favour certain teams such as Richmond more than they do us. And, yeah, we've just got to make the most of it and, and hopefully from what we've learnt from the first experience in the hub will be better set to go in there. And we're also going to be playing teams that have been there for quite a while. So that, that sort of hub fatigue, for want of a better term, and the time they're spending away from their families and homes might, might sort of give us an advantage as well. 
I really hope we don't go to Cairns. I, I don't see why Gold Coast and Brisbane aren't being sent to Cairns or Darwin or any of these other places because they've had a, a real dream run in terms of travel through across the season. We're probably in the middle of the pack in that we've had a bunch of home games, but we've hubbed. Victorian teams are on the other side of the ledger where they've hardly been home all year. So they've got to spread it out for Brisbane, particularly as they're a, a premiership threat. Probably the Gold Coast aren't because Essendon have just kicked the last four goals and they're going to fuck my tips up. So thanks for that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Nice there you go. This is, uh, this is that classic live footy analysis on a recorded pod. So yeah. g'day to all the Friday listeners who've just uh, found out about Essendon going ahead. Look, talking yeah, talking about those hubs, the Eagles have had a nice run with all these games at Optus. It's that true home ground advantage that a lot of clubs haven't had, let's be honest. But some of the South Australian clubs have had that. They're still allowing fly-in, fly-out footy, so it seems unlikely that they're going to hub. We already know that Frio and Sydney are going to Cairns. Uh, there's a game being played in the Northern Territory, and there's talk of a Darwin hub. So the Eagles could yet avoid Queensland, but probably not. I said it on Big Footy when this was announced, or when it was you know, all, all but announced, I suppose. Everyone's operating on the assumption that this is locked in. This is not the time to be making excuses anymore. When, I was, when we were first in the hub, we didn't know what the rest of the year would look like. We didn't know if all the other clubs would hub. We didn't know if the Eagles and Frio and, to a degree, Adelaide and Port were going to be the only ones to hub for the year. But now we know. We've got all the info. And like you said, look, the Eagles have had a nice run with this. It's rare. It's very much appreciated. But we have had a nice run. We're sitting fourth. We have a game in hand. We have two more games at Optus. At, at a minimum, we have two more games at Optus. Our percentage is fine. For all the concerns about percentage early on in the year, every club has had some big losses. Our percentage, we're two off the pace from Brisbane. You know, we're, we're slightly behind Geelong, but we've got a game in hand on them. Our percentage is better than everybody else in footy. So we're all right. Uh, we're not going to catch Port. That's fine. It doesn't seem likely that Port are going to have to hub, so they're probably going to power away. It's not the time to make excuses. Everyone's in the same boat. You know, some clubs are suited better than others, as you touched on. But if the Eagles are serious, this can't be another repeat of the last hub. They've got to go into it knowing that, yep, it sucks. We're in Queensland for the time being, but that's the season. That's the way it is. We still have an opportunity to absolutely get the job done. We just need to tick a few boxes at Optus and then head out on the road with a, with a focused mindset. No excuses. Let's get this season done. Now, after the regular season, KK, this is where things get very interesting because then you've got the final series. And for all the talk of moving the league to Queensland, there's still plenty of chatter about finals being able to be played in Adelaide, in WA potentially, and of course in Queensland as well. So we've got guys like Tom Morris saying that finals in WA, finals at Optus are still very much on the cards. We've got WA today saying that if we can't play our finals in WA, the league are probably going to let us pick a ground. So we could say, well, we'll play all of our finals at Adelaide Oval just to try and get the advantage that we've earned or minimise Brisbane's advantage there's a few options. None of them are set in stone yet. But KK, how do you see that finals dynamic playing out as it relates to fixturing? Yeah, it's a bit of a new curveball today, that that option about choosing your preferred home ground. Because I, I, I felt for a while that all the finals would be in one hub and it was just a matter of where that was going to be. I think logistically it is still possible to do that in, in Western Australia. But the AFL preference is clearly going towards Queensland. And, yeah, if they're going to be split, it's probably, say, going to be between Queensland and SA because at the moment you, you've got pretty much free travel between those two places. And, yeah, they, they can sort of run the finals as as they see fit. If they're going to have that option where you get to pick the uh, pick your preferred one, then um, it's probably going to be done on a, a weekly basis. They won't be able to do all the fixturing for the finals ahead of time. So they're going to want venues so they can just fly in and out 
as the fixture falls. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably see us, if we had the choice, um, yeah, definitely pick Adelaide Oval. Certainly if we're going to be playing, say, Brisbane, get some kind of advantage over them. Um, Richmond, they prefer the Queensland conditions, so those sorts of teams, then I'd be picking Adelaide and I'd have some bias there. I might actually get to see a game of footy this season. It is also a ground, though, KK, that we've seen a lot of success at and final success as well. Let's be honest, the, uh, the Eagles have... Pretty well done the business at Adelaide Oval, and it would certainly. I think the main thing is mitigating that advantage to Brisbane, and to a degree, if we get matched up with the Gold Coast, for example, because we have struggled in Queensland. There's no better time to turn that around than now. And I think, given they've had some experience with the hub, if the Eagles do have to get out on the road again, we really need to be expecting and we need to be demanding a much better performance. Main event time this week, it is round 12 and the Eagles host Hawthorne Sunday, 10 past 4pm Western Standard Time at the beautiful Optus Stadium. Now KK, 100% chance of rain according to the Bureau of Meteorology. Uh, We saw that last week and it didn't rain at all during the game. Now it did rain before, first half was a little slick, second half as dry as you like, absolutely perfect. Beautiful day for footy in Perth. So for me, I'm not changing anything based on the rain. I'm not, I'm not changing who I bring in and who I drop. We're not making considerations for the rain here. If it does rain, be harder at the footy. Just be better. We cannot be a club that's hamstrung by the weather if we're serious. So come on, let, let's just uh, let's be honest here. Stuff the rain. Let's pick the team. For me, KK, very simple. In, Jeremy McGovern. Out, unfortunately, Josh Rotham. He was good, but... You know, last man in, first man out. You've got to get Gov in and and maybe that frees Barass up to just kill the contest a bit more rather than trying to go the mark. So if McGovern is healthy, that is my one change. Over to you, KK. What would you do selection-wise as we head into this Hawks clash? I wouldn't look past that either. We haven't really got anyone that's sort of screaming out to be dropped or screaming out to get a game. And so in the areas where, as we've spoken at length before, that we've got some underperformers, we just don't have the options to bring in. So, yeah, pretty simple. McGovern's fit. He plays. And I'm saying, I think Rotham's been great. I, I kind of feel for him. I think he'd be getting a game at a lot of other clubs. Um, just his ability to play sort of tall or small. But uh, we've got McGovern, Barras, and Hearn, Shepard, Duggan, guys having great great seasons. It's going to, well, maybe not Hearn, but anyway, <laughs> the rest of them. Um, it's, it's tough to get a game in there. And, yeah, unfortunately, he comes out. And the Reds get some continuity in the team. We're, we're playing good. Let's keep it going. Swinging it over to Hawthorne and trying to have a look at them. KK, this is really odd, this feeling, because I'm analysing Hawthorne. And when I think of Hawthorne, I think of, obviously, 2015 Grand Final. I think of struggling at the start of 2016 against them. We were about even with the Hawks before then. We won some, we lost some, but we were competitive. Then, seemingly, they broke us and they broke our spirit. And everybody seemingly has this hangover that Hawthorne are this horrific bogey side that the Eagles always struggle against. We dropped a silly game against them last year, but equally, we beat them at the MCG. We beat them the year before at Eddie Had. It's just a bit of an even battle. And if I'm looking at it as a team that's a regular team, not some sort of hoodoo team, mate, the Hawks are shocking. What is going on? They have just fallen away in a really, really bad way. They have won one of their last six games. Uh, they beat the Blues last week, but if anybody watched them play Fremantle at Optus a couple of days ago, dreadful They scored 32 points. They narrowly avoided the lowest score ever under Clarkson. Struggling in a lot of ways, they looked slow in the wet, and it's just something that we don't attribute to this Hawthorne side. So I guess the fall away is real. I can't really ask you, is this real? Because it it is. We've seen it. It, It's just who they are now. So 
given that we've got a history with Hawthorne, but also given that they look like they're a very different team to the one that we're used to, what are you expecting to see out of the Hawks this week? Yeah, they're in pretty bad form. Um, I'm in that dangerous space where I'm pretty confident going into a game. They've been one of the most disappointing teams this season, really. The People sort of tipping them to sort of have a bit of renaissance under Clarkson, and they obviously they beat us in round 23 last year. They beat GWS late in the season as well. Yeah, but they, they've fallen away big time, and they're, they're probably just wanting to get these games over with and get back home. Even their win over Carlton, they, they were in a massive hole in the first half of that game and then got going in the second. Yeah, I just think the areas where they're sort of weakest are looking at their, their stats, they're very uh, low on clearances, and um, and we're very high in that that area. Uh, that's a position that they've struggled with having Warple and Mitchell in there. It's a bit of bit of the history of us with Prittis and Mitchell just too slow. And I think with the the form that our midfield's in, if we get any kind of space away from the drop of the ball against those those guys, we should absolutely destroy them out in the middle. And if we do that, then as as great as Sicily is, he's not going to be able to to stop our entire forward line by himself. So I'm I'm pretty confident going into this one. As you say, they're shocking and let's let's sort of put the hoodoo to rest. Although I don't think it's much of a hoodoo. We we knock that off when we beat them um, in 2018 and then we followed it up again last year and round 23 was just one of those nights. So if we take a look at the Hawks, since they've left Victoria, they did play games in Victoria through the first four rounds of footy. But since then, look, as I touched on, they've played six games, one win, five losses, an average score of 50.8. Now that includes a pretty big outlier of 89 points against the Blues because beyond that they've gone 49, 27, 48, 53, 32. They're struggling to score the footy. As you touched on the midfield, 16th in clearances compared to the Eagles second. Now that's not something that we've been familiar with historically. Hawthorne give up the most disposals in the league, so they might back off and let the Eagles play our game, which is obviously a game they know well, but... Look, if, if they can't stop it, they can't stop it. They are 16th in the comp in disposals themselves as well, so they're not getting a lot of the footy. They're not scoring it well. They're not going inside 50 well. It's not, you know, it's not just that they're going inside 50 a lot and they're missing. They barely get it in there. They don't score when they do. They're not getting the footy out of the middle. And like you said, we're in that dangerous spot, I think, that on paper we should be going into this reasonably confident. Now, you touched on Sicily there. We've seen the Eagles play a negating role in the past against the Crummers, against the rebounding defenders, but Sicily a fantastic intercept marker. And I don't think it's the sort of position where you can waste, I suppose, I'll use the word waste loosely there, waste somebody's game to try and tag him or negate him usually. And I say usually because what do we think about Jake Waterman this week? We've seen him have some success in the back 50 as a defender. We've seen him use, you know, he's very important in a link-up role. He does run. So you would lose a bit if you took him out of that hard-running capacity. But if you had Waterman as sort of a a body, keep numbers even at the contest, don't let Sicily come in third man up. That's potentially an avenue we could look at to really try and shut down the one way the Hawks do have success stopping the ball. Uh, I like that move as an option, but I'm hoping we don't need to use it. I think just just back ourselves into play the way we want to play. Uh, and I think you talk about what we'd lose with Waterman if we sort of parked him in the forward line on Sicily. I think that's a really key part of our game is his versatility and his, his running capacity up and down the rings. And um, Hawthorne aren't a particularly fast side. I think we can really beat them on the spread and, and use Waterman as a part of that. So I'd, I'd like to see just back, back him in and back our team in to play our natural game. And 
get the good clean entries and, and take Sicily out of the game as much as possible. Now at the other end of the ground, they've got guys who have given us problems in the past because, hey, the Hawks have given us problems in the past. But as I touched on, struggling to score. They're 15th in scoring in footy. They've really struggled interstate in particular, scoring the ball. You look at their game last week, Bruce kicked two goals, Gunston kicked a goal, and then Sicily kicked a goal late. They sort of swung him forward as a bit of a Hail Mary move. And, and to be fair, he took a great grab. He gave him a, a fair bit up there, but uh, they're not going to play James Sicily out of the goal square for most of the game, I wouldn't have thought. So with that in mind, from a defensive matchup point of view, we're both bringing in Gov if he's healthy. Do we think it could be a big intercept game for Jeremy McGovern? Do we think it's a sort of game where you stick Shep on Bruce? There's there's still some danger guys in there we have to be aware of. So how do you try and shut down the Hawks if and when they do go inside 50? Uh, I think work on disrupting them further up the ground. It, it's been our key to the improved defensive performances we've had over the last few weeks is we're just limiting the, the entries. We saw what happened when Carlton got um, some clean, deep entries on the weekend. They caused trouble. So that's that's the thing we need to avoid. Um, the conditions, if it does rain, will probably help that, although they will negate the marking capacity of our, our defenders as well. I mean, I'll back all our guys in on a one-on-one contest against their opponent. It's, it's dangerous some of Hawthorne players are. I mean, Ships, I think, has been in All-Australian form all year. So if he's playing on Bruce or Gunston, who aren't at the, the height of their powers, then I'm, I'm going to back Shepard into that contest as well. Yeah, I think we'll beat them up the ground and not about what their forwards are going to do. You, you touched on a few midfield names before for the Hawks. They've got the O'Meara's and Wingards, Warple, Mitchell, these guys. The Eagles midfield has been in terrific form this season, led by Nat Nui and then a rotating cast, it seems. Every, every game, somebody else takes the lead. Last week, you'd say it was probably Sheed. Week before, it was most likely Kelly, but you've seen big games from Yo, Shuey, uh, Redden's pitched in as well. Gaff's always there. So the Eagles midfield could really flex their muscles this week. And you look at the ruck division as well for the Hawks. McAvoy last week and Segler last week, 14 hitouts and 11 respectively. You compare that to what Nick Natanui's giving us, you know, constantly giving us 35, 40, giving our guys first use, second in the league in clearances. The midfield is the battle this week, I think. And, uh, you know, there, there are some guys for the Hawks that you need to be aware of. But KK, for me, no tags this week, no shutdown. Go head-to-head. Back yourself in, and for the first time in a long time, I think just across the board, we look better than the Hawks in every line without discussion. So I think it's just the week to back ourselves in and just really go for it. What do you reckon? Yeah, totally agree with that. You say I think we are pound for pound in most positions better than them, and they don't seem to be getting the most out of their their players at the moment as it is. Um, the times they they've looked a bit dangerous, as you say, is like Sicily goes forward or Wingard goes to the middle. And they make a difference in those areas, but then they're taking their best players away from their favoured positions. So, yeah, I think just go head-to-head, back at midfield to perform as they have in in recent weeks. And I I don't think Hawthorne will be able to run with us, to be honest. That's as good a time as any to queue up the prediction. Hawthorne can't run with us, you reckon? So I guess that you're going to tip the Eagles. KK, tell me how much we're going to win by on the weekend and which Eagle in particular is going to stand out. I don't think it'll be a big margin, though it might be a couple margin and the conditions might keep the scoring down. So I will back the Eagles to win by 19 and I'm going to back Shepard to continue his great form. Maybe not jag another great goal this week, but just be a real driving force off, off halfback for us. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to look inside our forward 50 and say that Jack Darling is going to have a breakout game. It's been the Josh Kennedy show a bit over the last month or so. Everyone's raving about him. Rumours of a new contract. He's leading the Coleman. It's all great to see. I love it. But it is time for Jack Darling to 
put a bit of a statement 2020 game on his resume as well because that double act, that tandem of Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling, when it's fit and firing, is very, very hard to stop. So if any week was going to be the week where we're saying, we're predicting we're going to get good midfield supply, and if that is the case, let's have Jack Darling stamp it out this week and just say, I'm back, I'm here, remember me, I'm the All-Australian forward from last year. Jack Darling to have a big game and the Eagles are going to win by 34 points. That'll do it from us this week. I set it up the top, but I'll say it once again. Thank you very much to everybody who's been in contact with the show and reviewed, rated, all of that sort of stuff. Just to hear that you're liking the show, it really actually does help get uh, get the effort up every week to go and do this and, and get a bit of research done, try and bring you guys a, an informative or at least a good pod, an entertaining pod uh, with a couple of silly guys from Big Footy. So, yeah, really appreciate the kind words. KK, as always, really appreciate your time as well. Thanks very much for coming on the show. No worries, Badge, and thanks for everything you're doing to promote the pod. It's going well. <laughs> I'm trying. Boy, I'm trying. I'm out there uh, really, really grafting on the promos. So apologies if anybody's getting bombarded with with plugs and promos and having to see me on Facebook and Twitter and Big Footy and all this business every week. Apologies, but uh, basically get stuffed because I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, that will do it from us this week, as I say. We'll talk to you next week. We've got another big clash on the horizon with the Giants, but we can't look past the Hawks, so we will be recapping that one next week. We'll be talking the Giants. We might have some more concrete fixture news as well, so we'll be bringing you all of that next week with your favourite podcasters from Big Footy. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye now. Bye for now. Uh, I am going to quickly see if you want to take a break because it seems like there are seconds left in this game and it's a tied game. There's a minute 35 left. Yeah, I haven't got a TV, so I mean, I, I, I do have a TV. <laughs> I'm following it just on the AFL website. I've, uh, I've, got, I've got the little stream up on, on the AFL on my phone here. There's a minute 20 left, and old mate Kings just kicked the tying point. Should he have kicked the goal? Yeah, oh, it, was a, it was a pretty long set shot. It was like 40-meter set shot, but directly in front, more or less directly in front. You'd, it's like 60-40. I am going to watch this for like a minute, if that's okay. Yeah, if you can... Um, I'll, I'll commentate. Like how about special that? comments, yeah. <laughs> what about this? The Tiger cast have been doing commentary, which is interesting, which I might even look at for the hub. Because all the Tigers games have been away, obviously. They've been doing their own live commentary where you can click and listen to it live. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe worth exploring. Anyway, Rankin's got a set shot 50 metres out on a 45-degree angle. Just took a decent chess mark. Well, at least he's a booming kick. He should get the distance. There are 25 seconds left on the clock as he starts his running. This is definitely for the win. All right, he's coming in. Here we go. Special comments by HB35. Punch it through, for God's sake. Oh, he's he's hooked it wide left, but it's into the square. Big pack of hands. It's come off to 23. I don't know who the f*** that is, and he's got no idea. That's got to be ball. That is... Oh, my goodness. He's not called it ball. Oh, wow. All right, here we go. Recapping. It's come off hands off a big pack. Gold Coast player's got it. He's run a f***ing mile and been tackled, and they didn't call ball. So we got a ball in with four seconds left in the forward pocket for the Suns. Doesn't seem like enough time unless there's a free. Hands go up, not a clean ruck tap. Ball's on the deck. That's a draw. That is a draw.